0: Welcome back to another edition of Give That Fan a Podcast. This is episode 20. As always, I'm Ryan. That's Paul Valley. Paul, uh, both of us had a little uh, romance added to our weekend. I got engaged to my lovely girlfriend, Megan, on Saturday, which I found out was also your anniversary with Laura.
1: Yeah. um, Laura and I got engaged at the ballpark in 2019, the same day that Rio Ruiz hit that walk-off Grand Slam against the Astros. Um, and then we got married on September third, and so that's our anniversary, and you happen to pick a great date to ask your now fiance, future wife to marry you so congrats to you, man. What an awesome day it must have been for you. I'm so happy for you,
0: thank you, man. I really appreciate it it was uh a lot of lot of planning uh I was so stressed out, I grew a sty on my left eye. I don't know if it's still visible at all, but I can't uh, see it. it's it's finally going away, but my eye was i actually wore concealer uh on Saturday night luckily Megan excuse me, one of Megan's friends had a little concealer I threw on the, the eyelid so it didn't look quite as red and puffy. So uh the pictures came out good, which is all I could ask for. But uh yeah, it's very special weekend. And Paul, I heard you uh you were hooked up with some gifts for your anniversary.
1: Yeah, man. It was it was really cool. So um Colleen O'Roden, shout out to her uh from Orioles PR She's helped me all year with my ticket, with my season ticket plan and my ticket exchanges. Because rarely I've been able to go to the games that were that I actually had tickets for, Um, and thank God because they were all Sunday games and they don't play very well on Sundays. But um, so she's been super helpful to me all year. We've had communication back and forth, and she uh, texted me yesterday. Yesterday was the day that Laura and I celebrated our anniversary. And we were going to the Orioles game. Well, she had forgotten to process the payment for my ticket, so they weren't going to work. So she emailed me yesterday and was like, hey, I got to process this payment. I let her know it was my anniversary, so I'd appreciate it if she would do that. And so she was like, I'm going to leave a swag bag of uh, Orioles stuff for you at the stadium for your anniversary. I thought it was going to be like a little grab bag or something like that. No, dude, she left me an Orioles duffel bag, one of those gray and orange ones that they gave away at the stadium a few years ago, Yeah, filled with – Two 2019 Orioles Maryland Maryland flag jerseys, um, the Adley Rutschman Welcome to the Show T-shirts, uh, the 30th celebrate 30 year celebration of the Why Not season T-shirts, uh, some Orioles winter hats. One one of them was two of them were the 50th anniversary celebration of the 1970 World Series championship. Just mm-hmm. a bunch of cool stuff, man. And I, I like super grateful. It was just awesome. It just oh, and the Jim the Jim Palmer uh, statue replica. Which was the only one I didn't have. She had no idea. Uh-huh. And I got one I got that. So that and a job means business bobblehead. All the all sorts of cool stuff. Wow. So shout out to Colleen. Shout out to the Orioles for making our day that much more special. It was awesome.
0: That that's really, really cool. Shout out to the Orioles for hooking you up there and Colleen especially. Uh, we love love to see that kind of thing. I know the Ravens do stuff like that for their fans all the time. Good to see the Orioles doing the same. Uh, Paul, we have a lot to dive into, but first, Give That Fan a Podcast is sponsored by Birdland Sports. Pull up the little promo code here. Uh, Josh from Section 336 has a great line of affordably priced Orioles-themed t-shirts available for purchase at birdlandstore.com. Their Tyler Wells-inspired player nickname designs are currently being rolled out with Hillbilly Hayes and King of the Mount Castle among others, already popular, and plenty more on the way. Including, Paul, we have Give That Fan a Podcast t shirts available on the site now. Go
1: grab some.
0: Yes, please. They're available in orange and black. My girlfriend, uh, what? I got to get used to introducing her as my fiance. My fiance was the first person to order a Give That Fan a Podcast shirt. Hopefully more people follow suit. These t-shirts are designed for fans by fans. Use promo code THATFAN at checkout for 20% off your purchase at birdlandstore.com. That's birdlandstore.com promo code T H A T F A N all one word at checkout for twenty percent off your purchase. Each purchase helps support Baltimore podcasts such as ours, so head on over to birdlandstore.com and enter promo code ThatFan for twenty percent off. Go get your Give That Fan a Podcast T-shirts. So we'd really appreciate it. I'm I'm gonna be ordering mine very soon, and hopefully we uh, see a few out at the stadium.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll grab one here sooner or later also. So. Yeah, go get them. They make they make great gifts too. So
0: please, they do, they do. Uh, so we have a lot to dive into today. Uh, I wanted to start with an article that was shared by Justin Fenton yesterday. It was written by Tim Prudente, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, in the Baltimore Banner. Uh, it's all about a, a little follow up on. We, we all kind of know what happened at this point with the the lawsuit between Georgia and John and Lewis, uh, and all that that's going on, but there was some more information released on the baseball side of things. And I, uh, I'm going to read through a couple of the highlights from this article. Um, I apologize if my voice gives out, I've been sick this week. Um, but I'll, I'll try to get through this. So, uh, the gist of the article is that when it became clear that Peter was no longer able to run the team, John, Georgia put John, so Georgia is Peter's wife, John Mm -hmm. and Lewis are the sons. Georgia put John in charge of the Orioles. Um, they had kind of blamed Peter for some of the team's previous failures. So that's something that I think we were all kind of on board with, that uh, Peter Angelos was handcuffing the front office in the McPhail and Duquette eras, and even before then, and uh, it was it was hurting the Orioles' on-field product. Uh, there's a quote from George's attorneys. Uh, quote, after years of bad press that Peter micromanaged baseball operations at the Orioles, Georgia wanted to create distance between her family and the baseball side of the organization. John simil- similarly abhorred any management structure other than an organizational pyramid with full delegation of authority to a staff of trained professionals and executives headed by a general manager responsible for all day-to-day decision making. Uh, that's kind of in tune with what we've heard in the past that when Michael Elias was hired, he was kind of given full autonomy to uh, rebuild the organization. Uh, And that's exactly what happened. uh, According to this article that uh, Elias and John Angelos agreed that the general manager should have full autonomy over a baseball organization. And so Mike Elias was given the free reign to do what he chose in order to, to really rebuild the foundation of the organization from the ground up. So he accepted the job with the Orioles in November of 2018 On the condition that he would report to john only and this did not sit well with lewis they had kind of pushed him out of the the structure at this point or they were in the process of doing that and the agreement that elias would have free reign was codified in elias's contract so it's written in his contract that he runs the baseball side of things and reports to john Um, lewis demanded at this point that he be in charge which kind of sounds on par to what we know about Lewis at this point, going Mm -hmm. as far as to repeatedly call and text Elias. And Georgia was worried that this would violate the rights Elias was given in his contract. And then uh, a couple years later, in August 2020, Georgia appointed John as chairman and CEO of the Orioles and left Lewis off completely. There's a lot to digest, Paul. I know there's also a couple parts of the article that I didn't summarize there, uh, including a little bit about Brady Anderson uh, and, and we'll get to that. Where would you like to start with with kind of breaking down what we learned yesterday?
1: Well, so I, I found this whole thing um, very interesting, and, it, and it's it was eye-opening, right? Um, I read this in between innings at the game last night. And Mike Elias, uh, the, the the Giants, San Francisco Giants put on a full court press to get him. And the reason he chose the Orioles over the Giants, and I think in part is because he's from Virginia. I believe he grew up an Orioles fan. So and maybe even if he didn't, it's close to where he grew up, uh, Baltimore. So, right. But he took the job, knowing that he would, because John guaranteed him full autonomy and guaranteed him that he would only have to report to John. Uh, and that's that was the deciding factor for Michael Elias to take this job. Uh, I found it very interesting that they acknowledged the fact that Peter micromanaged the team. We all knew it, but you really couldn't say it. Right. Uh, you couldn't say it out loud. People wouldn't talk about Like the reporters, the, the, the beat writers, the journalists around the team, they wouldn't talk about it because Peter Angelos is Peter Angelos. But right. the fact that they acknowledge that, I think, um, is really big. And the fact that they're now saying, you know, John is completely hands off. I love the fact that John um, believes in a delegation system where, look, I'm not a baseball guy. You, I want baseball guys – baseball people, excuse me, baseball men and women running this team and just report back to me about the finances. Like, you guys do what you have to do. I I, I love that. Uh, To me, it sounds like Lewis is kind of of the same ilk as his father. Um, And that probably wouldn't have been good for the Orioles franchise. So a lot of things I didn't really realize were uh, happening behind the scenes, and it's very interesting to see it all come out in the open.
0: Yeah, I think I think this article really did a good job of kind of confirming a lot of things that we already thought. Right. Uh, you know, I I already mentioned that <clears throat> you know Elias was given full autonomy. That was reported during you know when Elias was hired. Uh, I don't remember who you know one of the beat writers had an article about how he was given free reign to do what he chose with the organization, mm-hmm. report back to John with the finances. Uh, so this kind of confirms a lot that we already knew, but it also it's good to get that confirmation. I think, right. um, to to see that you know Lewis was the problem. I, I've I've always kind of I don't want to say I've liked John, but my perception of John over the past few years has been that he cares more about fielding a winning team than his father ever did, mm-hmm. and and this article confirms that. It's nice to know that we really do have baseball people running the baseball team now. And I think we're reaping the benefits of that now. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Um, The other thing that it confirmed, we also kind of, uh, you you mentioned Brady Anderson and we, we all kind of assumed that because Brady was going pretty soon after Elias got here and we all kind of assumed Elias fired him, but nobody really knew. And in in this uh, article that was released yesterday, it said that Brady was brought on as the executive vice president of baseball operations and Lewis, he, he was buddy-buddy with Lewis, and Lewis raised his pay, his, his, um, pay from 300000 to $900,000. So when Elias came in, he was like, Brady's not the analytical type of person that we want on this staff. I'm not going to fire him. We want to move him to an outside consultant um, position, and we want to lower his pay. And Brady agreed to that, but begrudgingly so, I guess. And I found it interesting that Brady was fired by Michael Elias. That is confirmed. But he didn't fire him because he wanted his own guys. He fired him because Brady didn't hide the fact that he felt like he had been... Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? He, he felt like he had been done a disservice. He felt like... Yes. He, he, like. Brady didn't hide that sentiment, apparently. and Elias, He felt slighted, it says yeah, in the article. Yeah, slighted. Thank you. That, yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Brady <laughs> felt slighted and didn't hide that. And it seems to me like it was an insubordination thing where Elias was like, look, if your attitude is going to be like that, then you're out of here type of thing. And I thought that was very interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, the, the case with Brady Anderson, it kind of felt for a couple of years like – he didn't really have a defined role. You know, he may have been the executive VP of, of baseball operations, but he was out there shagging fly balls during batting practice. And, you know, it, it kind of felt like he was just meddling wherever he wanted to. He didn't I, answer I don't like, anybody. He just did what he wanted. Yeah. I, I don't like using that word meddling because it, it has a negative connotation, but really that that's what it felt like he was doing. And, you know, clearly not on the same page as Elias with analytics and the, the direction that this organization was headed. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, moving him out of that role at first and then getting rid of him altogether was probably the right call. Yeah. Um, seems like as, it. as much as Orioles fans love Brady Anderson for what he, you know, the leadoff hitter here and 50 home run season. And, you know, everybody likes Brady Anderson, but not a, not a front office guy. I don't right. think ever should have been. Um, and, and now here we are, uh, the last part of the article, Paul, uh, The headline is Family Took Steps for Sale of Interest in the Team. Mm -hmm. Now, John has been a big advocate of the Orioles staying in Baltimore. Um, However, they have considered selling the team. Um, Attorneys for Georgia wrote that – this is a quote from the article. Attorneys for Georgia wrote that her husband did not believe the family should own the Orioles forever. And then uh, although Peter felt the Orioles should be sold on his death so Georgia could enjoy the great wealth they had amassed together – he felt that decision was ultimately George's to make. And so at this point, I don't think we really know if if the Angelos family is going to sell the team. Uh, we don't know how much John enjoys being the president and CEO. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't gotten a chance to talk to him about that. But that is his role. He loves having the Orioles in Baltimore, it appears. Whether or not it's going to be under the Angelos family name, I think, is yet to be determined. But regardless... I think any ownership group, and we've talked about this on the show, any ownership group that comes in and wants to purchase the Baltimore Orioles, Major League Baseball is not going to let them move. Correct. It's That's They have correct. a beautiful stadium, beautiful town. When the team is winning, the fans show up. And so uh, we don't have to worry about that. And, and there, there will always be people who say they're going to move to Nashville, they're going to move to Vegas, whatever the hell. But uh, the Orioles aren't going anywhere.
1: Yeah, the, the fact that the Tampa Bay Rays exist and the Oakland Athletics exist, and they're already talking about potential um, – expansion, add, adding two more teams. It wouldn't make a ton of sense to move a team from Baltimore to any of those other locations when those other things I just mentioned are things that, that could be and will be probably happening. Um, and you're absolutely right. We did talk about this on, on, on the show. Major League Baseball, uh, a lot of people don't realize that they can step in and say, if, if you, you try to move the teams, Major League Baseball can step in and say, you're not moving this team. So, like, they the, – uh, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball as a whole want the, the team to stay in Baltimore, and they really want Cal, uh, Cal Ripken to be part of the next ownership group. It's been mentioned multiple times that Peter Angelos' wish is that when he dies that they sell the team so that his wife can reap the benefits of the great wealth that they've amassed. It says that in the article. So um, Baltimore Orioles are staying in Baltimore, and that's that's uh, at the end of the day, that's really all I care about.
0: Me too. Absolutely. Now, uh, let's move a little bit to the baseball side of things. It it was a a tough, tough weekend, uh, tough Labor Day weekend for the Orioles leading into this week. The Orioles dropped three of four to the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll get a little bit more into that, but I want to talk about a couple of the things that happened on the field. Uh, Tyler Wells came off the IL. He's been on there for a few months with an oblique injury. Uh, Dean Kramer came in in relief. It was Kramer's scheduled start. They activated Tyler Wells, said he's going to start. He'll be on a pitch count. And then we'll bring in Kramer. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I, I don't know how I feel about it, Paul. What's What's your take on kind of – it seems like they kind of threw Kramer off his groove a little bit. He has been dominant lately.
1: Yeah, especially the last time he faced the Blue Jays, he gave up a two-run homer to Vladdy in the first inning. And then nothing else. He went seven innings a two-run ball. Um, so it was a bit of a head-scratcher for me. I understand wanting Tyler Wells to be on the big league roster. You want the best arms you can have for a playoff push here. Um, you have him on a starter's routine, and basically, if you have Wells start the game, you can keep Kramer on a starter's routine, because you're not going to bring him in until it's a new clean inning, so he can still do the things that he does as a starter. Um, So it's not like he came in with guys on base and had to get himself out of a jam that he didn't earn. Uh, So uh, I, I understand it from that. Tyler Wells is the one that has the experience in the bullpen out of the two of them. And Chances are you're not letting Kramer go more than six innings in that in that game, so you can bring Wells in anyway. Maybe you want to get to Tate and Bautista in the back end, but you just used them the night before, so maybe they're not available. Look, they got eight innings of four-run ball, three earned out of those two guys, so they did their job, right? It's just if you're going to – I feel like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Uh, in, in in this situation, they're both on starters' routines. You're going to throw one of them off. I think it, the guy who's been at the major league level dealing for the last five weeks should be the guy who has the opportunity to go out and start that ball game. And maybe things turn out a little bit differently. Maybe Wells comes in knowing that he only has to go an inning or two and he can throw 98 miles an hour and really go after it. I just I would have rather seen Kramer start the game. Though I think they both pitched. I think they both did their job.
0: I think so, too. And had it gone a little better, had the offense contributed and the Orioles were able to to come out of last night with a win and a series split, I think we're looking at this a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's easy to say this in hindsight, but you've got Kramer, who's been so good lately as a starting pitcher. I I think you keep going with that. Like you said, Wells is the one with, with more bullpen experience. Yes, he was a starter his whole minor league career before he came over here in the Rule 5 draft, but... You know, I don't. I don't think if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I don't think they needed to pull Kramer out of the the starting role, especially for a, a really a must win game last night, yeah. as you could call it.
1: Well, and all the games against the Blue Jays now are must win. And going into that that, I mean, the hype around this team going into that Labor Labor Day doubleheader, fans were so excited. It's the biggest series of the year, and then they go out and lay an egg, and they weren't they weren't competitive in either game. It was it. it it was really disheartening, and then you you need to win this game to split the series and get back to two and a half games back, and you throw a wrench in your rotation, spokes. I, you
0: know,
1: I, as masterful a job as Brandon Hyde did on Tuesday night, I felt like he uh, bit off his nose despite his face in yeah. in that Wednesday
0: game. I think you said that last week. I may have. <laughs> Give me our new our new catchphrase. We'll put that on a shirt. Um, Paul, I want to talk about the Orioles infield defense. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of talk about Jorge Mateo as a potential Gold Glove shortstop. I don't think he's a sure thing to win the Gold Glove. Uh, I think he certainly could. I think he'll almost certainly finish uh, in the top three. But I don't think he's... If I were putting money on which Oriole infielder is going to win a Gold Glove this season, the clear answer to me is Ramona Rios. Mm-hmm. He has been unbelievably, which th- this is crazy because at the beginning of the year, he was getting some starts at third base. He wasn't able to make the throws. You and I were both complaining about it a little bit that Ramona Rios is not a third baseman. He has been spectacular. Yeah, He has 14 defensive runs saved. He picked up another one last night. He was at 13. Uh, 14 defensive runs saved. We saw him make that great diving play, force out at second base to get Tyler Wells out of the jam in the second inning. Uh, that leads all American league third Uh, baseman 7.7 UZR that's second to Jose Ramirez who has an 8.7 UZR but only one defensive run saved Uh, Arias's six outs above average is a tie with Josh Donaldson for the American league lead at third base and his 7.7 defensive metric on fan graphs is first now I I started looking into this because I, I, I saw him make that diving play to end the second inning and I was thinking, you know, he's, he's been showing out a little bit over at third base. So I go to baseball savant and I looked at his page. I noticed that he was 90th percentile and outs above average. And so I'm like, all right, that's pretty good. So I go look at the leaderboard and I see that he's tied with Manny Machado. They both have six. Mm -hmm. So, well, that's pretty cool. Manny Machado was heralded when he was here. You know, he won a platinum glove at third base. He's a, a superstar defensively. So I'm like, all right, well, let me look into this a little more because I was getting ready to fire off a tweet about Ramon Arias and Manny Machado having the same outs above average. Then I go look at fan and Arias is blowing Machado out of the water. And there, there's, I don't think there's an exceptionally close competition. And if, if the manager, so the managers, the players and coaches uh, vote counts for 75% and then uh, Sabre accounts for 25%. If the coaches who are voting pay any attention to these analytics, I think Ramon Arias is going to win a gold glove, which is a, a crazy sentence to say. But after looking at the numbers, I don't think anyone else is particularly close, Paul.
1: Yeah, I um, I didn't realize he had been... I, 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 knew, I had noticed probably two months ago that he was playing a solid third base. When he came off the DL, I realized how, how solid third base he was playing. Um, but it kind of got overshadowed by the fact that his bat was so red hot off the off the IL. But I'm surprised to see that those that his defensive numbers um, are as high as they are, and it makes you wonder what's going to happen in the future with because Gunnar Henderson's supposed to be your third baseman future, especially if you're keeping Mateo and at, at shortstop. And I know this isn't the question you asked me. Um, I am surprised to see that Arias has been that good, but it, it, especially when I was watching the throws he was making at the beginning of the year where, the, where he was short-hopping everything, he couldn't get the ball across the diamond. But is he even going to be a part of this team next year? Is he going to be a, I, I win a gold glove and then I'm out the door? Because you're not getting rid of Gunnar Henderson, and for God's sake, you can't play him at second base, right? So it, this is such, a, such a, a weird arena to be in right now.
0: It is. And I, I, there are more infielders who are going to be knocking on the door as early as mm-hmm. next year that I, I want to talk about in a little bit. But yeah, I, I mean, even, you know, Mateo Arias, they have been a very solid defensive left side of the infield. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a very real chance that after next season, neither of them are on the team. And so the Orioles have to figure out at that point, do they have trade value? What can we get back? Or do do we want to keep them around and maybe trade a prospect for some some good starting pitching? We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it's if, not going to be Gunner. He's not getting traded.
1: If I remember correctly, didn't Arias have plus defensive metrics at second base last year? Like at I, second base.
0: I think he did.
1: So uh, to me, this is just a guy who's got good hands and a good arm that can play basically anywhere. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see if maybe they hang on to him and then he ends up playing second base next year. It's certainly uh, – We've been saying this a lot recently. It's a good problem for the Orioles to have.
0: Yeah. And when when Arias is inevitably announced as a gold glove finalist this season, all the responses on Twitter are going to be, who the hell is that? Well, right. look at the numbers. He's been unreal. Now, there's another infielder on the Orioles who may also have a better shot at a gold glove than Jorge Mateo. And I might be getting a little ahead of myself here. But – and and – take this with a grain of salt because defensive metrics hate first baseman. There is not a great way to quantify their defensive abilities over there. Right. But that being said, Ryan Mountcastle has one defensive run saved that is tied for second in the American league after Vladdy. He has two outs above average. No other American league first baseman has greater than zero. And this is going to sound weird, but, his defensive rating on fan graphs is negative 5.7 sounds pretty pitiful that leads American league first baseman which That's shows you how how crazy. much defensive metrics hate first baseman now mm-hmm. I I honestly I can't give an answer as to how much we look into this but if you're taking these numbers into account Ryan Mountcastle might be a gold glove finalist too do you and did you see that coming at all? No.
1: I mean, this is a guy that didn't have a position, right? He got drafted as a shortstop that moved to third base, moved to first base, and moved to left field uh, in the minor leagues. And I don't think anybody saw this coming. And then you're talking about, well, you got to play him at first base because there's no place else. And I remember seeing after uh, his 2019 season in the minor leagues and he won International League MVP, uh, he only had four errors at first base in quite an extended period of time there. And I said, that's – his fielding percentage is like nine ninety five. Why are people hating on him? They're like, well, well, his defense. His UZR isn't great, and he's not. He has trouble picking balls and this that, and the other. And I'm like, four errors is only four errors. In in all those chances, look, the Orioles. If his bat heats up and becomes a bat to be expected to, they they got themselves a really good player playing first base. in the defense there, I remember back in the day when people were talking about Chris Davis's limitations at first base, and then became a, and then he became a Gold Glove caliber first baseman I see the same thing for Ryan Mountcastle and maybe that's why I made it a little bit easier to trade Trey Mancini when you already have when you have a first baseman who's that good defensively
0: absolutely and you know whether or not Mountcastle is a finalist or wins a gold glove this year it looks like he's turning himself into a very fine player over there uh, and, and could be in the conversation now if you if you look across the American League there is no clear favorite, but if you, you know, take into account some of these metrics and where Mountcastle ranks among American League first basemen, he's he's got to be in the conversation. Uh, now, none of this is to take away from Jorge Mateo. He is has been an, an excellent defensive shortstop. Uh, I just wanted to highlight a couple guys who have flown under the radar as very helpful to this organization on the defensive side of the ball. <coughs> Excuse me. going to get rid of this cough um Cedric Mullins probably finishes top 3 among center fielders as well but I think the clear 1 and 2 in the American League is Miles Straw and Michael A Taylor but mm-hmm. uh, the Orioles could have four guys representing in the the Gold Glove finalists uh now how many win we'll see but um one guy who the defensive metrics really do not like and who is starting to become well that might be generous who is at this point a liability on offense is Austin Hayes yeah he hit for the cycle on June 22nd, and when that happened, Orioles fans were clamoring for him to be voted into the All-Star game. He was, you know, barely in the top 20. Orioles fans thought he should be higher, uh, myself included. He was having a great season up until that point. Since then, Paul, he has a 204 batting average, 252 on on-base percentage, a 593 on on-base plus slugging percentage, and a 68 WRC plus. Maybe he's playing hurt. He still has a visible scar on the back of his hand. I know he's dealt with a couple other lingering issues this season. He got the night off on Wednesday in favor of Kyle Stowers in left field. What do you make of Hayes? At this point, is he a platoon guy? Is he more of a fourth outfielder type? Is he on the chopping block? Where do you stand on Austin Hayes? Because he's been very bad lately.
1: It's crazy, man. When you look at what he did in April, May, and June. He was arguably the Orioles best player, right? I mean you're talking a guy who who hit over two ninety in both April and May with normal base percentage approaching three eighty. And then June, he the average was was down, but the home runs and the RBIs and the doubles were up. He hasn't hit since. And you talk about a guy who those first three months you're talking this might be the Orioles' best player. He's finally turned into the player that we thought he could be when he wa- when he was a finalist for minor league player of the year um, in all the minor leagues in 2017. And now you talk about him, he might be the Orioles' worst player. Uh, he might be their worst player. Uh, he, he he's been lowered to eighth in the order the last couple of times out there. The Orioles had a rally going where they scored five runs in the th- I think it was was it the third or fourth inning. Um, on I believe it was the third inning. Yeah, yeah, they scored five runs, and they're rallying. He comes up after a bunch of base hits and pops out on the first pitch. This is you can't play him. You're you're in a playoff stretch, and as much as you love Austin Hayes and as much as the abilities there, you can't justify putting this guy in the lineup. You have to replace him with Kyle Towers and you know make him essentially a fourth outfielder. And at this point, is he a fourth outfielder above Ryan McKenna? Because McKenna's put up better numbers than him the last three months. It just – it's heartbreaking because we of all the excitement surrounding Austin Hayes, the way he started this year is probably not his fault because he probably is hurt. The wrist, uh, whether he got – getting cleated in the back of the hand on that slide in the first base, which was – that one is his fault because why are you diving in the head in the in the first base? right? Um, but getting hit three times in the same spot on his wrist um, – He's probably hurt, and even if he's recovered from the injury, now he's been pressing. Maybe got into some bad mechanics because over over um, compensating for that injured wrist, and he can't get out of it. Uh, he's just—it sucks to say it—but you you can't justify putting him in the lineup right now because there's guys who are who are going to do a better job right now.
0: Absolutely, and I, ever since I wrote I wrote an article before the trade deadline that the Orioles needed to trade Anthony Santander. To make room for Kyle Stowers on the active roster. Ever since then, Hayes has been terrible and Santander has done nothing but hit home runs.
1: Santander liked the, liked the tweet of mine during the All Star break, and we may have talked about it on the show where I said yeah. he shouldn't be hitting third on this team. He should be hitting at best fifth, and really, he should probably be more of a six or seven hitter. He liked that tweet, and then he's hit 290 with 10 home runs and like 40 <laughs> RBIs since the All Star break. So he kind of shoved that in my face, huh?
0: Yeah, egg on our faces. I mean, hey. Good on him for proving us wrong. I'm yeah. I'm I'm thrilled that he's been able to put up the type of production that he has, and that the Orioles have been able to keep him and to some extent Stowers in in the lineup a uh, little simpatico. Um, I to <laughs> excuse me. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the minors. Connor Norby was named the Eastern Eastern League Player of the Month for August. He posted a 1.006 OPS hit nine home runs. He was promoted to double-A near the end of June, and all he's done since then is slash 292, 371, 574. That's a 945 OPS, 15 home runs, 29 extra base hits, eight stolen bases. He has 23 homers across uh, high-A and double-A this season. That is tied with Jordan Westberg for the second highest total in the Orioles' entire organization. Only player ahead is Anthony Santander. Paul, he's another infielder. Uh, with the aforementioned Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz, who by the way is a power hitter all of a sudden. Um, These are guys who can push themselves into the MLB discussion as soon as 2023. The Orioles have a very good problem with too many good infielders. And it's weird to say that because the discussion for the last few years has been, we have too many good outfielders. And now that script has flipped. I think we still have a ton of great outfielders coming up through the system, but, the Orioles are going to have to figure out their infield situation moving forward.
1: Yeah, um, like we already talked about with Gunner and Mateo and Arias, and now you got Connor Norby, who 23 home runs. He was never known for his power, right? The power only no. came on his, his, his senior year, but he was he was more known for the hit tool. He was 400 hitter in college, and that's translated to professional ball. This is his first full season of pro ball, and he's knocking on the door at AAA, just like Colton Cowser, who's already there but struggling in his early going at AAA. Like you said, good problem to have. Where, where are these guys going to play? Um, and it really makes. And, and then Joey Ortiz, he got promoted. He's been tearing the cover off the ball since the beginning of July. Got promoted to AAA. The glove is the glove's been major league ready all year, and now the bat is on fire because he hasn't. He's hit the ground running at AAA. It makes you you know a trade's coming. Like a, a trade, they're going to have probably a few trades this off season. And maybe that's how they get that middle-of-the-order bat that I was talking about, or maybe that's how they get a controllable starting pitcher. You have nine spots, eight spots on the field that aren't a pitcher, right? You can only play eight guys and then some bench guys, and these guys are good enough to start, and they can't start for you because you have guys who are just as good, if not better. There are trades coming this offseason. Maybe Connor Norby's the guy who sticks and ends up playing second base, but then that's before we even mention Cesar Prieto, who, oh, by the way, they spent a ton of money on the international draft this past year and he has the lowest strikeout rate of anybody in the entire system majors through minors. Uh it's a it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Orioles move forward, who gets squeezed out. Um the one thing I know is that Odor won't be back next year because <laughs> of all these other guys. He's the one guy I can tell you with absolute certainty will not be back at the major league level for the Orioles next year.
0: I know a couple of people who that would really bother, but uh you know, not going to not going to apologize for it. We've been talking all year about how Odor shouldn't have even broken camp with the team. Granted, yeah. he's he's been better lately. He, he still seems to come through in clutch moments every now and then, but not a big league infielder.
1: This is a guy... Last night, I said to my wife, I leaned over to her, and I said, you know what, he's not going anywhere this year. Odor's kind of growing on me because he plays the game the right way. He plays with yeah. grit and a fire and an energy that I love. And then he just... What what did he do? He struck out and popped out to short or third three times yesterday. This guy hits a home run every three weeks. He goes three weeks with seven hits total, and then the rest of the time he just pops. He just pops out to the infield. I'm I don't want to hate on him, but I'm so done with it's. It's like it's he's not going to do anything. One home run every three weeks in a clutch situation is not worth keeping a guy in the lineup every single day. But I digress.
0: It's it's too stressful to to continue hating on him. Yeah, we've been doing yeah. it all year. I, yeah. And he's you know he's a, a fun clubhouse. And the, the players love him. But you know when when the Orioles have so many infielders knocking on the door, yeah, like you said, he's there's just about zero chance he's back next season. Right. Uh, now you talk his, about his major league the Orioles' career
1: might be over. His major league career might be over after this year, just like Trumbo uh, when his contract ended. Who's going to sign a guy that hits two hundred with a two sixty on base percentage? The Orioles.
0: Who has a a terrible uh, clubhouse climate? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Right. You could, you could see he might get a minor league deal. Maybe maybe break camp with the team if he if he gets hot. But yeah, I, he's 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 not going to be around too much longer. Uh, but this isn't a Ruggedo episode. We could talk about him a lot people are probably annoyed with how much we hate on O'Dor. door. Yeah, I'm,
1: um, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't want to do it. I'm just, it, it was stressful watching that happen last time.
0: No, I get it, man. And it was, it's a good segue with, you know, Connor Norby's a second baseman. He's going to be, I think by the end of next year, he's going to be really, he's going to be one of those guys that Oriole fans are saying, when are we calling up Connor Norby? Um, especially if he continues hitting the way he has been. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Joey Ortiz. He has an OPS over a thousand in his eight triple a games mm-hmm. since being promoted. Jordan West, Jordan Westberg, 23 home runs this season as well. He's been great. He might break camp with the team. So like like we've said, it's a good problem to have. Um, now, my, my voice is starting to give out, but I did want to give you a chance before we sign off here to talk about a little bit about the Orioles' offensive approach and uh, you, you mentioned wanting a middle-of-the-order bat, whether that comes with a trade or free agency. What is your wish list?
1: Yeah, I, I I look at this Orioles lineup, and nobody's hitting. Nobody except for Gunnar Henderson is hitting above two sixty, and Gunnar Henderson it's in a small sample size, and that average might be a little bit below now because again, small sample size, and the Orioles have. It seems like a lot of times Mullins and Rutschman will get on base, and then you have Santander. Mount Castle and then either Arias or Henderson or whoever's batting fifth. And at the time, recently, up until recently, it was Austin Hayes. And you're getting three strikeouts, or you're getting a pop out to second base and two strikeouts. And it just seems like they get guys on base and don't get them home with the heart of their order. And that's a huge problem for this team. And I think that they're one legitimate bat in the middle of the order away from really taking off offensively, because it kind of puts guys in in better positions to succeed. Again, Anthony there. this is a guy that at the end of the year, he as a switch hitter, is going to have right around 30 home runs and right around 100 runs batted in. And that's a great hitter. He's more a five hitter to me than, than a three hitter. I want a three hitter to be a guy that can hit close to 300 and get on base at a 370 clip. I think Gunnar Henderson becomes your three hitter at some point during the season next year. I want a guy like Aaron Judge hitting in the middle of the order. And I've been outspoken about wanting Judge. I don't know that the order is going to be able to pony up the dough dough for him, especially considering he's already 30 years old. Um, He's a guy who's proven time and time again that uh, Mount Mount Baltimore out there in left field is no match for him. He's had multiple multi-homer games this year in Camden Yards, almost had a three-homer game, One went off the top of the wall for a double. Aaron Judge as a free agent – Somebody uh, mentioned potentially trading for Mike Trout. I don't know that you'd be able to give up enough to get him. Um, but that would be something interesting. If you're going to sign a middle infielder, I don't want Carlos Correa. And I wanted him earlier this year. I don't want him now. The guy I would sign would be Trey, would be Trey Turner. Um, I have to look at the, at the free agents. But I don't want it to be one of those guys who hits 250, 260 with a 330 on base percentage but hits 30 to 40 home runs because we already have – like eight of those guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want it to be somebody that can hit close to 300, can – somebody that's going to cost you thirty to $40 million a year, honestly, prove that you're ready to swim with the big dogs and go out there and make a huge signing like an Aaron Judge or a Trey Turner. That's my wish list is somebody who is a difference maker to slot everybody. Can you imagine Kyle Stowers hitting seventh and batting 260 with 27 home runs next year as a seventh That'd hitter? That would be
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah. Get somebody in the middle of the lineup that makes that a thing. That's my wish
0: list. I'm with you. Now, uh, last thing before we sign off, uh, took a sip of water. I think I'm okay for a couple minutes. The Orioles need to make up four and a half games on the Toronto Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is how far back they are in the wild card after dropping three or four to them. Um, Paul, I'm not sure. I, I think I can see it happening. It's not going to be easy. the The worst good. The worst good scenario, I guess is going into the final series against Toronto three games back. The Orioles have beaten Toronto seven times this season, so no matter what happens with our next three-game set next week, if the Orioles sweep the final series, they will win the season series. Meaning, if they end up tied with Toronto, they will have the tiebreaker and be in a playoff spot, assuming no other team leaps the two of us by then. And so... The Orioles need, at the very least, to go into that final series with just a three-game deficit. Now, the Orioles' schedule, the rest of the way, is not easy, but it's manageable. They have three against Boston beginning this weekend. I think you have Mm -hmm. to take two out of three. They have a two-game set in D.C. I think you have to win both of those. They play in Toronto for three. I think they have to win at least two of them. I don't mm-hmm. I, I think they can afford a loss in there. Obviously it wouldn't be ideal. You want to sweep that series, but I think they can afford a loss. Uh Detroit comes into town for three. The Orioles need to sweep that series. Uh Houston comes in for four. I think the Orioles need to split. Uh Boston comes in for we go sorry, we go to Boston for four. I think you need to split that as well. And then I accounted for losing two of three at New York before the final series. Now the Jays schedule, they go to Texas this weekend. I think they win two of three. They they're have gonna a five. Them.
1: They're, they're, they're going to sweep Texas.
0: I, I think that's likely, but we'll see. Uh, they The Texas does have Martin Perez going on Sunday. So I, I think that gives them a, a half decent shot. Although Jays hit lefties well. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, if Texas can manage to take one of those, I think that's great. Um, they play five against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's say they win two of them. Uh, again, let's say the Orioles take two or three uh, when they go to Toronto. Uh, they they then play Philadelphia. Uh, Two-game set. For,
1: who's going to be fighting for their playoff laps.
0: Yes. Ideally, Philadelphia wins that series outright. Um I accounted for a split. Uh, They then go to Tampa Bay for four. I accounted for a split there as well, I think is is reasonable. So they have nine games left against Tampa Bay. I'm I'm predicting they win four of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Then New York goes into Toronto. I think they lose two or three to the Yankees. Then they go to Boston. I think they win two of three. And then it's the final season of the season final season of the season, final series yep. of the season. At that point, if if these predictions come to fruition, which obviously they won't exactly, but I think those are all somewhat reasonable assumptions for what might happen moving forward. Granted, the Orioles have to play well. They have to win some games that they're not supposed to win, and they have to win all the games that they are supposed to win. Uh, with this breakdown that I just gave you, Paul, that puts the Orioles at 86 wins going into the final series against Tampa Bay, against Toronto, and it puts Toronto at 87. Meaning the Orioles could then afford to take two out of three, still have the tiebreaker, still win the season series, and make the playoffs. Am I asking for too much here? Because I, I feel like that is attainable. It would be difficult, but I think it's attainable. Am I being too optimistic? Um,
1: It's certainly pie in the sky. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's really gonna give up that I haven't said out loud. I have oh man, I can't believe I'm doing this. I've never expected the Orioles to make the playoffs this year. There there wasn't a there hasn't been a point in this season where I thought the Orioles are going to the playoffs.
0: Well, if I can interject real quick, I I I'm not surprised that you said that. I it's brave of you to say, but even after the 10 game winning streak, I believe it was on our other show. We we talked about how we still think this Orioles team is a you know seventy two to seventy five win team at best. And that was after a ten game winning streak that put them at five hundred. So I understand where you're coming from with that.
1: Yeah, I I think that they have the ability to make the playoffs. I think that they can make the playoffs. But if you ask me, will they make the playoffs? I'm saying no. Um, I look at the teams in front of them. Seattle's going to the playoffs. They are, they've been playing ridiculous baseball since about the middle of May. Middle to end. Of, no, probably the beginning of June. Since the beginning of June, they've been playing ridiculous baseball. The and game, Seattle's,
0: Seattle's final 20 games this season, sorry to interrupt, are against the five worst teams in the American League.
1: Yeah, it, 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 their, their schedule's a joke. They had, Seattle's going to run away with the wild card. In the final third of the season, a third of their games were against winning teams. You're talking two-thirds of your, of your games the final third of the season. Are th- so 36 games against sub 500 teams. Yeah. Their, their schedule's a joke. They're they're going to the playoffs. Uh, Tampa Bay, they they always find a way. They just always fi- uh, they have half their roster is on the IL, and yet they're 20 games above 500. Uh, they're going to the playoffs. And then you ask yourself, are you better than Toronto? Don't don't come at me with pitchforks and and torches. But you're not better than Toronto. You I aren't. agree. You you aren't you, you look at the Oriole at who the Orioles started in that four game series against Toronto. You had Tyler Wells, Kyle Bradish, um, uh, Mike Bellman, and Keegan Aiken. Now look, a lot of that is because they needed the extra pitcher um, because they had a doubleheader. Lyles got sick, but when you're starting those guys and the Blue Jays are starting Kevin Gossman, uh, Jose Barrios and um, Alec, Alec Manoa, Manoa. <laughs> come on. And, and then you look at their offense and their eight hitters hitting 260. Their, their, their nine hitter is Whit Merrifield most of the time. Like, like Raimel Tapia was a leadoff hitter for the Rockies and he bats seventh for them. Their lineup is stupid. Like the Orioles have been an awesome story this year and they've been one hell of a surprise. They're not better than Toronto. Toronto was picked by a lot of people to go to the World Series for a reason. So I look at Toronto and can the Orioles catch them? They could. It's not likely. Toronto's doing what good teams are supposed to do. You remember how the Orioles played the A's and Toronto played Pittsburgh? Toronto swept. The Orioles lost game the third game of that series to the, to to the Athletics and they weren't they lost five to nothing. They weren't yeah. competitive. These are two different teams. The Orioles have the opportunity to get just as good as Toronto in the offseason, but right now they're what you said can happen. I think that they have to sweep the Red Sox, they have to sweep the Nationals, and they have to sweep um, Detroit, and then and take two or three. I mean, you're talking. They probably have to go. What is that then? That's three, five, eight. They have to go ten and one in the next eleven games. I think for them to have a shot at the playoffs, and that's they've proven they can't win day games, and it doesn't matter who the competition is. If they have a two game, if they they're up two games to none in a series and the third game's a day game, they're not winning. They're not winning that game. So 10-1 and one is a lofty expectation for this team. And I hate to say things so definitively, like that. I love this team, I want them to succeed, but seeing is believing, and I just don't see them doing what it takes the rest of the way to get to the playoffs.
0: I, I can't argue with that. Uh, it's definitely a bit of a long shot at this point. Four and a half games is a lot to make up in a month, uh, even though it sounds like a small number. You need a lot to go your way, um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be difficult. This this four game series was not a dagger, but a, a huge hurdle, and so you they know. need
1: they need to at worst split that series. The fact that they lost three of four, put themselves behind the eight ball in one day by losing a doubleheader, and look. I could be that guy who puts on his orange sunglasses and drinks that orange Kool Aid and says, "Oh, they're gonna go out and win every series the rest of the way." But I'm, I'm gonna be realistic here, and they've they've done a hell of a job proving me and just about everybody else wrong all year. So it can happen. I'm not saying that it can't happen. I just don't think it will.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely have a little orange Kool Aid going. I just, I, I'm, I'm. I'm very sad after this series, and I'm looking for something to lift my spirits. So I wrote out each team's schedule, and I said, all right, if they do this and this and this and this and this, maybe there's a chance. For people uh, that,
1: that, that, that don't know what kind of a time commitment that takes and how like difficult it is to figure that out, that is something – that is such a pain in the ass to do. To look yeah. at the schedule and figure out everybody, like the the Blue Jays, what they have to do, and then what the Orioles have to do, game by game by game the rest of the way. So yep. kudos to you, man. I never really
0: <laughs> wanted to do that. Uh, yeah, I was I was up till I couldn't sleep last night. I was up to like three thirty. I've I've been sick for three days. COVID negative, fortunately, but Good. it's it's ever since the uh, engagement. I woke up the next morning, like I guess it was two days later. That's but... God saying, "Don't do it." Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, nah, dude, it was. It was crazy. we went, so we're at the the engagement party at her parents' house. her sister and uh her brother in law and niece came up from Raleigh, North Carolina as a surprise and uh so it's you know ten o'clock on Saturday night, and we're all drinking champagne, and I've had a little too much, and they're like, You guys wanna take Riley to the zoo tomorrow? They're like, what time uh I'll leave about eight fifteen well, okay. So I, I think we might have just overdone it a little bit this weekend because she's, she's a little under the weather too.
1: Were you drinking champagne like at your place or at um, like a restaurant, like an establishment?
0: We we went to her parents' house okay. for look, an so
1: there is, it So it is kind of known, and especially, I, I work in a restaurant industry, um, that a lot of times people will get sick after a night of drinking because they were drinking out of dirty
0: glasses. Huh.
1: That could have been something where you were drinking out of a glass that was dirty and didn't realize it, and especially if it was at somebody's parents' house and those glasses have like been on a shelf collecting dust and they just pull them off the shelf, they don't wipe them out or rinse them out or clean them before using them. You could mm-hmm. have gotten sick from a dirty glass
0: could be I'll have to ask', him. but uh yeah, it was champagne and seltzers and shots it was It was a heck of a night, but yeah everything nice. everything went beautifully. I have a fiance now it's pretty insane. But, uh Just wait before we we... start
1: calling her your wife
0: oh, I know she's she's already like we need to figure out our our color palettes and you know all of this all of this stuff but uh it's it's, it's special gonna be time, a time
1: man we had two years to do that man i i I hope you thoroughly enjoy it
0: i i am I have to say, I'm looking forward to the planning because I love seeing those kind of things come together mm-hmm. uh but yeah, definitely gonna be at the minimum i think about a year and a half engagement um yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to do between now and then. But I'm looking forward to it. No, and, no uh,
1: rush. You got the rest of your life.
0: If I have any questions, I, I know I can I can reach out to you because you you went through this pretty recently. So
1: I'll I'll tell you that um, Laura, the only thing I really had much of a say in, like she asked for my opinion on stuff, but I mean, let's be honest, she was gonna do what she wanted to do, right? She's yeah. she's the bride. She kind of left me out of the planning except for the food. I got it. I got a say in the food, um. But everything else, she kind of, she and her mom just kind of took the reins. And even if I wanted to help, they were like, "Nah." So maybe it'll be that way for you too.
0: No, it no, <laughs> Megan. Megan is not uh, a decision maker. It's whether Neither it's. Is
1: Laura. Neither is Laura. Well,
0: that's true. Maybe maybe it'll be different for a wedding. But uh, before we get too into uh, our personal lives, uh, that's Paul Valley. I'm Ryan Blake. Thank you as always to Derek and Tony at Utah street report for hosting the podcast. You can get, give that fan a podcast t-shirts at birdlandstore.com. Remember to use promo code that fan for 20% off your purchase of our shirts or any on their website. We will be back next week. Hopefully with a new audio introduction, I need to change the one that has just my name and, and get you in there as well. So I'm, I'm going to reach out to Kyle to help me out with that. Uh, But we will see you all next week on another episode of Give That Fan a Podcast.